Hey everybody, it's the Flames Nation podcast here. Uh, Mike Fail, your social media and community manager. Uh, episode two, we've got uh, the same three wonderful folks that we had on the last episode. We got our managing editor, Ariane Over. How's it going tonight? Okay, we're good. We got on site as usual uh, in the Swank Pike Digs, Ryan Pike. What's going on, buddy? I'm doing good. I got uh, it all set up in my spare bedroom. Excellent. And the sensation from the university, the future of Canada, it's Christian Tiberi. What's up, buddy? Doing pretty good. So, 2 nothing win over Columbus tonight. The least exciting game probably in eons for this Calgary Flames team that has been inconsistent, to say the least, this season. Uh, let's take a look into kind of what happened tonight. So, um, let's kick it off with Ari. What were you, what kept you alert, I guess, in this game that was worth watching and would you like? <laughs> uh, a couple flashes here and there, like Christopher Stieg's assist. That was very wonderful. That's, that's when I actually started waking up, uh, a couple bits of sustained pressure here and there and watching Chad, Zon- Chad Johnson save everyone's ass several times over. That was exciting. Especially in a game where what they finished, I think it was 42.68% uh, Corsi 4 at 5 versus 5. Not exactly the, the best brand at Calgary Flames Hockey tonight on the road. Uh, Christian, what are your thoughts? I know that uh, a lot of people were talking about um, fatigue on this road trip. It's kind of the, the, the longest road trip of the season at this point, and it's going to put the team through the gauntlet. So what are your thoughts on it? Can I hear just the road trip in general? Because oh. I was asked about, is it asking about the road trip or the just tonight's game. Oh, like tonight when they get oh, okay. carry over. Tonight they pretty much looked tired. They didn't really look like an awake team, which is just, I don't know how I feel about that. They either look like, um, sorry, I'm really tired too. I don't know. It just didn't seem like they were going at 100%, but they also didn't look like they were. St- I don't know, I kind of missed the third, which is the only good showing from them, apparently. So the first two were just pretty bad periods. Pike? I uh, I thought they, it was about what I expected. Uh, I think uh, on the Sportsnet broadcast, uh, Christopher Stieg uh, was uh, talked with Roger Millions after, you know, in, in the intermission, and he mentioned, you know, how fast Columbus was and how they hoped that they'd slow down a bit so they, you know, they could be able to play a bit with them. And I think that sort of showed, I think they were content just to, you know, let Columbus buzz around and hope to God they didn't give up too many good scoring chances in the first period or so. Uh, they got that big power play goal. Uh, they got that big goal after the big kill in the, in the second period to open the period. And then, I think they were just content just to let Columbus buzz around. And, you know, in the grand scheme of things, these are guys that, based on how they've been playing in front of their goaltender, have a lot of confidence in Chad Johnson to make the first save. And then they'll just try their damnedest to avoid anything good afterwards. And that was their game plan against Chicago. That was their game plan so far in pretty much every game since the Minnesota game where, where, where Goudreau got hurt. And outside of that, you know, that – you know, period in Buffalo where everything just completely went wonky on them. You know, if this is their game plan, they're doing a pretty decent job of executing it. Yeah, the before we get to Chad Johnson, because I think that we're going to spend a little bit of time on him specifically and the goalie situation, but 
Uh, last week we talked about Michael Furland and the desire to see if we could get him some more, like the hopes of seeing him get more ice time. We we saw a little bit more of him tonight, especially with the power play goal you mentioned. And it it's one of those circumstances where a lot of Furland supporters kind of feel validated and vindicated. <laughs> it's like, hey, here's this great player who drives, you know, play quite well. He's, you know, fantastic on the forecheck. He's great in terms of shot metrics and generating them and suppressing them. And then he finally gets some power play time tonight and takes advantage of uh, probably Dennis Wybin's best moment this season, you know, holding the line there, gets a, gets a puck to Furland and it's in the back of the net so quickly. And I, I don't know what more Furland has to do outside of scoring goals because he's already driving play enough that he should be getting recognized. But, you know, I think he finished the night still around the dredges of ice time. And uh, hopefully I, we, we might see more of him over the, the course of this road trip, I think, especially with um, Sean Monaghan's struggles, and we'll get to him later on. Uh, there might be a real need to kind of throw him up the lineup a bit more. And, yeah, he finished with 11 minutes and 56 seconds, and two minutes of that came on the power play tonight, thankfully. Quick question. Who leads the Flames in power play goals? Quick answer. It's Dennis <laughs> Weidman and Michael Furland tied for two apiece. Those are your power play leaders. That's the state the men that's the state special teams are in. The wide dog's got to hunt. If if he's going to be on this team and if he's dressing, that's what he's got to do. I just find it kind of interesting that the guy tied for the team lead in power play scoring is the fourth line left wing. Does it speak volumes about the Dave Cameron power play or does it speak volumes about just player inconsistency this season or is it everything? <laughs> Well, if you, if you look at the power play unit, so what, the, the first unit, I guess the quote-unquote first unit is what, Furland, Monaghan, Versteeg, and then Brody and uh, Wybin on the point. The second unit is 18-year-old Matthew Kachuk, uh, 20-year-old Sam Bennett, uh, Troy Boy Brower, and then Giordano and Hamilton. It, it's, it's, it's up to whoever wants to decide... Uh, which one is the top unit, but those are some absolutely just completely discombobulated units. And I think that speaks to, you know, how the power play is going this year, where I think at this point, they're basically just taking names out of a hat and saying, get out there. But, you know, if <laughs> Furland's the one who's producing, you got to get more ice time because, you know, I thought, especially in the third period, he was excellent tonight. He had that, I think with the, with the empty net right before they, uh, they end up taking that penalty, they gave, uh, the other side is six on four. He was, I've never seen a human being outside of maybe Hitman legend Carson Torinsky fight for a, uh, an, uh, an empty net goal more than Furland did. Sadly, he didn't get it, but I've never seen someone fight that hard. Yeah, like I get the fourth line is working great with Furland, Hamilton, and uh, Hathaway. And it's nice to have a good fourth line. It's less nice when your top three lines aren't performing as well. So maybe bump Furland up if it means breaking up your great fourth line too bad the other lines are more important yeah like the i guess i mean in a a perfect situation would you see like a, a michael furland sam bennett sean monahan on the wing line as an option just kind of i'm just thinking like even if you want to make it minor swaps put versteeg back on the right wing put chase on on the fourth line if he has to play on the left wing out position great who cares and put furland on one of the lines to get more ice time yeah. He does not deserve. He does not deserve fourth line ice time. If you go by wing depth, they have Rustique playing out position above him, Bennett playing out of position above him, and um, 
I'm blanking for some reason. Who's the other guy? Kachuk. That's why I'm blanking, because he's new. So, yeah. is Furland really, like, the absolute worst among that group? Furland, at worst, is the second best left wing on this roster right now. When Gaudreau <laughs> is healthy, you can make a case that Furland is probably still the second best uh, left wing on the roster. Because you've got two guys playing out of position who've bumped Furland down to the fourth line. That's just odd. I just don't know what more he can do. I mean, uh, who is it? Uh, Daniel Knapp on Twitter brought this up earlier. It took 71 games for Michael Furland to score four goals, and he just did it in 22 tonight. So the the PDO slump and the shooting percentage problems that he had last season, seem, they seem to be you know kind of riding the ship a little bit, which is great. But uh, I think the other one of the other elements that makes a lot of sense, and Ari touched on it, was the fact that as a left winger, he's just a lot more functional. We saw... A lot of him as a right winger last season under Bob Hartley, and even the season before that, we saw a lot of him on the right wing. And inevitably, handedness came into the problem where he, he was on his off wing effectively and couldn't get the pass off or get the shot off from the right angle. And more often than not, just never went anywhere. We could write and wax poetic about Michael Furlan for seven, seven or eight hours, but that's and we will. <laughs> I mean, he's worthy of it, even though he blocked me on Twitter, but. Uh, moving along, let's talk about Chad Johnson and the goalie situation and what some fans might feel as a, a goalie. Somebody's taken the throne effectively. I, I guess I'll, I'll start off with just saying uh, Chad Johnson seems like he's having the time of his life right now. He's like, I think it says a lot just about how he's feeling about how he's playing that, you know, he, he specifically went out and bought a third mask just to have something to color coordinate with the retros. He seems like a dude that just, he, you know, he's having the time of his life playing for his hometown team. He's winning all the time. He, you know, you could want to talk to him. He's feeling really good about his game, wonky glove save against Chicago aside. And I think his confidence in his game is spilling over the rest of his team because I think there, there's just, I think, a confidence in the group that he'll make that first save. And I think just that confidence is spilling over to everyone plus three sweet color-coordinated masks. At the same time, it's Johnson's great, and I love him. Do not get me wrong in the slightest. But it's also just kind of completely unfair how this team is performing in front of Brian Elliott. Like, he was keeping them in the game against the Sabres until they decided to take several penalties all at once, and that's what killed him. I don't know how you can fully blame him for something like that happening. Well, especially if you look at, I think I wrote something early in the season after like, I think the first 10 games about uh, Elliot and how you couldn't really blame him for a lot of the goals against. Uh, and by all means, he wasn't the best player on the team during that span. But I'm pretty sure if you broke down the video on any of the games he started, you know, he's a three and nine goalie. But I think the nine losses are not on him. They're just like you said, Ari, just for some reason, the team just does dumb stuff when he's in net. And for some reason, they don't do that kind of dumb stuff when Johnson's in net. And it perplexes me that they do and don't in different situations. So what do you do with this, the rest of this road trip then? Because they've got how many more games left on it? Uh, three. They got three. They got three, three yeah. It goes Boston, Washington, Philly. Boston, no, Boston, Philadelphia, Brooklyn. And that's a back-to-back or yeah. on the end of it. So you would think, well, I, I wouldn't have Johnson play all three. Maybe he plays the next one. Actually, yeah, I'd have Johnson play the next one considering how dialed he in he was against the Blue Jackets. 
And then I'm not sure which one you start against um, Philly and which one the day after, but I would not do back-to-back games again for a goalie. Yeah, maybe give him, like, he could play in Boston and then he could play uh, against the Islanders. Maybe put him in, put him in the, the tougher games. Uh, with the Islanders and the way they're playing, like, I, I expect them to lose tonight against the Kings. Uh, the game just started. But the Islanders have no offense. And maybe from, like, a coddling standpoint, if you wanted to try and figure out what's going on with Brian Elliott and getting Brian Elliott back to being Brian Elliott, maybe you throw him in against the Islanders, depending on how the game against Philadelphia goes, if you start Johnson. Uh, I think Johnson probably should start in Boston, just given on tonight's performance and past performances, he's kind of earned it at this point. But with the Islanders, I think you you have an opportunity to put him in a situation where if you play Elliot and hopefully the team plays you know decent in front of him, or Elliot doesn't you know make some gaffes or whatever happens. But I know that the the vibe around Elliot right now in the fan base isn't exactly stellar, so hopefully he can get back to form. Yeah, for some reason, correct me if I'm wrong, guys, but didn't we have like a similar kind of, I guess, stylistic snafu last year between Ramo and Hiller? I I recall the team playing much better structurally with, I think, Ramo and Net than they were with with Hiller, and it's the same system, the same teams. They even have a you know a similar-ish goaltending style between those two, and I just find it utterly bizarre that they just are so wonky with one guy, yet so dialed in and structured with the other. Oh, God, now I'm just hoping this team isn't ruining Brian Elliott's career. If he has to go to Europe after this season because they broke him like they broke Hiller or something. Or how they broke Nicholas Backstrom, Calgary Flames legend, winner, Game 82, (laughs) 2015-16. We joke about that, but remember, these guys would not have Matthew Phillips on their uh, reserve list without taking Nicholas Backstrom and winning an extra game. So we should send Nicholas Backstrom a fruit basket? A Matt Phillips-sized fruit basket? 140 pounds of melons. <laughs> Perfect. Nothing but honeydew, actually. We're only going to send him a basket of honeydew melons. This is an opportunity to bump into a quick segue, but I hate honeydew. It, it's like the worst part of any fruit basket or fruit bowl. The only <laughs> melon worth anything is watermelon. What about like cantaloupe? No, watermelon. I was very clear. <laughs> the other kind of, per, I guess, like overarching theme that we're still seeing is the diminishing play of Sean Monahan, who, by all accounts, should be better than he is, but he's certainly not. And even tonight, we didn't really see a lot from him or his line. We didn't really see. I, I don't think I even noticed Sean Monahan out there at all. Um, Besides when he tried to kill Brower and Versteeg? <sighs> oh, God. I, I actually blacked out for that part. His line got a goal without him contributing to the play, and when he does contribute to the play, his line almost kills each other. I don't, even, I don't even think he was on the ice for that goal. I think his stadium was still changing. Yeah. yeah he, got, he got a plus because he was technically on the ice, according to those trackers, but you know he was nowhere near the play. All Chris and Troy... But with that, we had Kent um, do a piece today on uh, what to do with Sean Monaghan because it's what would you do Wednesday um, for a few more hours here while we're recording. And there, there st- still seems to be a lot of consistent themes. Um, cut his ice time, which did happen again tonight. He, uh, he finished with 14 minutes and 11 seconds. Uh, he, there was the, the motif, I guess you could say, that if you played him on the wing – 
we would take away quite a bit more responsibility that he isn't living up to and isn't really performing at and puts him in a position to just do what he does, which is score goals, hopefully. And uh, then there's obviously the other option, which we're starting to see a little bit of, which is seeing him sheltered and put into like a, a third line role classically. We all kind of have our own different approaches to how we would handle it. Um, but Christian, since you've been relatively quiet, what yeah. would you do? What would you do to, to fix Sean Monahan or help him get him going? I don't know anymore at this point because um, after the Buffalo game, I was like looking at his, like his how he was used, and no matter where Gulletson uses him, like he just finds magical ways to screw up. It, he, he's just such a weird, been such a weird player this year. Like um, when I was looking at his. Uh, competition stats against Chicago. Like he played ten minutes against Taze and Kane, and he was like seventy percent Corsi for that game. But like he goes to, like Buffalo and gets kicked by their second line. I just don't really know what to do with him right now. I just I would just like scratch him, make him learn from eighty feet. I can't think of anything. Here's a question: Do you think the Flames lineup at this point in time would look any worse if you moved Bennett back to center and put Shinkarikin on left wing with Monahan scratched? Uh, no. It looked the exact same. Probably, probably about the same. Shinkarika hasn't been anything to write home about either, but he doesn't actively work against you. Shinkarika hasn't been responsible for the almost death of one of his teammates in the middle of a game. So, like, when's the last time Monaghan was even scratched? Probably the uh, Super, Super Bowl, Bowl incident. Yeah. So, and that was barely, that was a you got a little too drunk, buddy. That wasn't a you're playing like garbage, buddy. So I don't know when the last time he was told that or suffered an actual consequence for his on-ice play, but maybe it's time. Maybe that would wake him up. Yeah. So I don't know. At this point, at this point, it's like you're not getting any better. Your number one linemate is out with injury, and you were hurting him too, quite frankly. Was this, what, three or four games in a row where, I think at least three games in a row, where his line regardless of who he's playing with, is their worst line of even strength by a country mile on, like, the make-or-break road trip for the season for these guys. And tonight, he didn't even get a shot on net. And, to, like, I mean, obviously the team didn't play stellar in terms of generating shots, but you would expect that somebody who who has a repertoire in shooting and scoring goals could find a way to generate shots, but I don't even think he registered maybe more than one or two shot attempts on net. But I'm on natural stat trick just a sec well i've got even just for um i'm on hockey stats right now and his line had the most offensive zone starts and were at the bottom of the barrel for Corsi and the blue jackets game yeah like i i i feel on a certain level kind of bad for gullitson because if you wrote outside of scratching guy if you wrote a, a a manual for how to get you know players going to okay what do you want to do Give him good line mates. He did that. It didn't work. Okay. Uh, give him a ton of offensive zone starts. Try that. Didn't work. Uh, keep throwing him over the boards. Give him a ton of ice time. Try that. Didn't work. Uh, cut his ice time. Let him watch and just sort of figure out where you know what the problems are. Did that. Didn't work. So, barring you know somehow like clubbing him upside the head and knocking wherever they're, whatever's loose in his head that's causing him to play so garbage. The probably the only you know stick they have left to use is to bench him for a game or two and just let him you know just chill out and clear his head. He didn't even have a shot. It finally loaded. Um, he didn't even have a shot attempt on net at even strength, and that he was one of T.J. Brody and uh, Garnet Hathaway were the only other four uh, players tonight that didn't register a shot on net. So 
like kind of this is this idea I kind of floated a little bit online um, at here and there, and nobody was really receptive to it because I don't think that they they understood it. But the concept of just not giving him any starts at all on ice to put him in a, a potentially a better uh, position to succeed by putting him on the fly at all point, because at least at that point you have a a, a bit more of an ability to f- uh, adjust on the fly, especially if you're the away team, um, you're in a position that you could kind of match the line on an even micromanaged level to fit, fit the needs. Because like Ari said, offensive zone starts aren't help. Like he was, he was coddled tonight again and he didn't really have anything to show for it. Obviously it's causing some trepidation in the fan base because they've seen what three seasons of this guy and he's only really done one thing for two and a half seasons of that. And that was score goals and it's dried up and, Fans are starting to catch on to the deficiencies in his play, and we kind of showcased that the other day on the post-game members piece that we did for the game against Buffalo, and there was two two obvious circumstances in which his play in the defensive zone and uh, just completely unraveled and put the team in a situation where they couldn't succeed, and it, it doesn't seem to be getting any better. And I know that there's obviously been concern and chatter about from the organization here about you know Dougie Hamilton and... Seemingly, as soon as he was put in a position to succeed, which played to his strengths, everything fell in line, and it hasn't worked out for Monaghan, but do you feel like there is justifiable buyer's remorse right now with the contract he signed, or do you think that this is, like, do you think that maybe 20 or 30 games from now, uh, uh, 20 or 30 games from this week, that we can look back on the start and say, okay, it was just a bad start, he's back to normal? I think it's too early to freak out about his contract. It's only been, like, 20 something games that's really not a lot in the long run at the at the yeah. same time though um we've known like as you said he had his obvious deficiencies to this game the only thing he was doing was scoring before how is it that he's not getting shots on net and it's not like oh it's the system it doesn't cater to monahan's strengths no if everyone on the team except for three players gets a shot on net and the one guy whose whole entire thing is scoring goals doesn't that's not a systematic problem that's a him problem but it's only been 20 games, so I think it's too early to panic and say, oh, we have to leave him exposed for Vegas. Which is, yeah, completely irrational. It's like, okay, let's take this guy we just drafted sixth overall a few years ago and give him this big contract and overreact and lose him and inevitably regret it, right? Um, I think we should probably move on to something a bit more exciting, which is uh, the Vegas Golden Knights <laughs> uh, with a great logo and an okay name. And uh, we got more news today about the Calgary Flames in regards to who, you know, protecting players and they actually have a bit more flexibility than we uh, had imagined before. And let's kind of dive into this. I don't know if it's news or at least anything new, because I think it's just sort of confirmation of stuff we already suspected with them not having any no moves. The average fan probably isn't like super, super aware of that though. Like I, I, now that Jay Feaster's going, I think the average fan just hopes to the love of God that they don't give out any no moves. I'm still kind of amused that Christopher Steed got a no trade clause, to be honest with you. Good for him. Good agent. For his one year sub one million salary. Like, who cares? <laughs> Protect the asset. With that in mind, with the flexibility, I guess we can kind of fall into that conversation of who you think they're going to put out there and they might lose. Well, you know, you know who they should protect? That Michael Furlan character. He seems like he's a keeper. Yes. And nobody else. I want them to submit a, a protection list that's only Michael Furland. 
Is that allowed? Like, I, can you just protect a like two players and be like, okay, everyone else, we don't care if we lose. I, I think you are. I think I think the, the your players be pissed off because they think their GM hates everybody. Well, but maybe they should play better then. If I tell you, if the Flames finish thirtieth, I can totally see Brad for living just going. You know what? No one's protected. Just just figure it out on your own. Who wants to stay here next year? Excuse me, protect Backlund and Froelich. How dare you? Yeah. We, we finally just hit the point where the fan base act like 90% of the fan base doesn't hate Michael Backlund for some bizarre reason. Let's not give them a reason to hate everything again. I think the team's giving them enough reasons, standings wise. <laughs> and again, it. they go on a three game winning streak, they're at 500 and probably in a playoff spot. So it's a weird year. What a crappy division. And and they're making it deeper next year with the Golden Knights joining. Oh my God! Like literally, all this team has to do is have like average special teams, and they're fine. Coincidentally, they won the special teams battle tonight, and they got two points. That's like the third time that's happened all year. Fourth time, fourth time. I think they, they managed to post on this. One. It's the fourth time. They managed to lose at least one of those games. They did, and didn't they? Two. Oof. Because the, the games where they had good special teams, they were garbage at even strength. Hey, like this one. Oh. So, kind of, I know it's only November now, and we're still months and months away, but at this point in the season, who do you think that the Flames would lose if the expansion draft was, you know, like tomorrow or Friday? I think Probably the challenge could. here is, if you look at the guys, like if you go on Cap Friendly, for example, and do the auto-protect thing, the, the names that are out there for the Flames, you're looking at Stajan, Boma, uh, Yokopaka, and Kulak in terms of like the, the main contenders to be claimed. So you're looking at a couple of role players with bad contracts and a couple defensemen that are you're sort of wobbling in and out of the lineup. I think uh, like Kulak barely saw the ice in the third period tonight. And Jokic Paka saw a lot less of the ice overall because he was scratched. But, you know, I, th- I think for both those guys, the organization is trying to figure out what they have in them. And I think it's going to take something Herculean for Kulak to justify the Flames, you know, figuring out a way to protect him. But at this point, if you're Las Vegas and you're building a team, you go and say, you know what I need? I need a, uh, some, some young defensemen with consistency issues. All respect to Brett Kulak, but he—if—if if he got parked, that he's getting parked because uh, he makes some wonky plays in his own end sometimes. Honestly, if Stajan keeps this up, I see him being the one going, and I'm not going to cry over that. The only player that I would be kind of bummed to lose out of that group is Kulak, and that's more of a matter of potential thing. And there's still like three quarters of a season to go, so we have no idea just how that's going to end up, or if he even is going to stick around full-time because he still might not yeah and honestly like if you i can see if you're if you're a general manager and you're trying to basically build a team and build a locker room you know staging he's you know you can play in your bottom six he's you know 3.125 million he's not that expensive he can wear a letter he can mentor younger players he's a mature enough guy that if he happens to be a healthy scratch he's not going to mope because he he's at a point in his career where i think he knows what he is and if you happen to, you know, if you're one of those veteran guys that gets claimed by Vegas, well, boo-hoo, you get to live in a very nice city in a state that doesn't have uh, any uh, income tax and basically just hang out by the pool when you're not playing. 
I can think of worse places to play. I'm actually like on the cap friendly side right now, as uh, Ryan said. But if I was Vegas, I'd I'd probably have to go Kulak. Just he's the youngest out of everyone. He's he's been looking pretty good for an like a 22 year old in the NHL. I wouldn't go Stajan or Boma. Stajan just because he's too old for it right now, and Boma because he's Boma. It, so yeah, I just say Kulak. He's just the better option out of him and Yoki Pekka. Especially Go. if they're going to bring in Derek Anglin next year. That, that's the move everyone's predicting. Kind of seems inevitable, but like they have always just been pretty good together. Ryan said today that they had chemistry in the Slack chat, so it just seems like something that could happen. Yeah, because the I mean, like the obvious thing with Vegas is they're going to get you know a lot of world class defensemen. They're likely going to pry out a. Matthias Ekholm or uh, Ryan Ellis out of Nashville. They might be able to pry out somebody decent out of Anaheim, depending on how Bob Murray and the Ducks handle the situation there um, with either Camp Fowler or Kevin BX on, on their way out. And then that inevitably could lead to like Josh Manson or somebody else who could be quite young and effective as well going out there. You know, the top pairings and stuff like that are going to get filled out with capable guys. It's going to be the third pairing situation in Vegas that I'm super curious about. And, you know, Brett Kulak could fit in there perfectly. Derek England, we all know he's going to, he's going to Vegas. He, he lives there. He, in the he has a house season. in Vegas. I don't doubt that he's going to end up there. Yeah, George McPhee's got the contract already in his uh, desk drawer there waiting to go, right? It's just a matter of does it happen July 1st or does it happen, you know, July 2nd? But I think, like, the biggest fear for me personally is seeing Michael Furland get claimed just because you can see the potential in what he can do, and he performs at such a a decent level at the NHL level. Like he play, he can play virtually in every situation and he's still a pretty decent penalty killer. If he got a bit more time and he's got a great release and he skates well and he's great on the four check. And I feel like it would be a waste of what development the flames have put in to just give him up because they might be eval- They might be valuing some other players in this roster more than him, unfortunately. And wasn't there a concern with, uh, Lance Boma being injured, that if he didn't play enough games this year, he could be like, yeah, he needs thir- 13 more games to meet the exposure requirement. Yeah, but they, they already, they should already have enough guys. I think they need to have two forwards who qualify. They, they're they close. I think, I don't think they'll have any issues. Worst case, they'll have to sign somebody. It'll be like a, a McCollum deal where they just sign somebody for barely anything and then. You know, maybe grow spin them down to the minors and see if they could expire their contracts that way. Maybe I just bring back for a stig. I'm going to use the term grossman a contract to talk about any non-circumvention circumvention. Why not bring back for a stig? He'll yeah. be he'll be willing to play for cheap, and I'm pretty sure you know if 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 you're him, you're going okay, cool. If you get if you get claimed, you get claimed. You get to play in Vegas. If you don't get claimed, you get to play here. It's almost a win-win for him in virtually every circumstance. Playing a division where you get to go on a lot of California road trips and Vancouver road trips, and to even see that beautiful building up in Edmonton. It's what not that. It's it's not that great. Like, if if you're uh, if you got money and you can sit in the lower bowl, or you can get into a box, you are set. But if you're up in the pleb level, up in the second tier, it's just not that great. This has been episode two of the Flame Station podcast. You can check us out on flamesnation.ca, uh, on SoundCloud, on Twitter at flamesnation, on Facebook at uh, facebook.com slash flames capital N. We'll see you guys next time.